Welcome to the U.S. Army Medical Department Center of History and Heritage podcast series, Clio Medico. The opinions and statements of the speakers featured on this podcast are not necessarily the views of the Army or the U.S. Army Medical Department Center of History and Heritage. The goal of this podcast is to share the story of Army medicine with soldiers, military, civilians, teachers, researchers, and the general public. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the U.S. Army Medical Department Center of History and Heritage podcast, Clio Medico. Clio Medico will be a recurring podcast telling the story of Army medicine since our inception in 1775. Although most of our podcasts will be focused on the history of Army medicine, we thought that we would share some of the things that have been going on behind the scenes at the AMED Museum. We had a few minutes to sit down with Mr. George Wunderlich, the director of the AMED Museum, and ask him about the recent reorganization process that's currently underway. How are you, sir? Can you pass a very quick message on to Jackie for me? Yes, sir. My name is George Wunderlich. I'm with the uh, AMED Museum, and if you would just tell her that I have a Jingle Bells delivery coming, she will know what that is. We've got uh, her Christmas tree and decorations from the warehouse that are on the way to you guys, so they should be there in about five minutes. Okay, so we are expecting Jingle Bell delivery from you, and you are George from the AMED Museum, sir. You are perfect. That is exactly it. I can't thank you enough. Uh, no problem, sir. Anytime, sir. Have a good one. You too, sir. All right, so, all right, Jingle Bells is on the way. They're expecting you in five. Boy, the museum business is never as dull as people think it is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I left corporate America to work in a museum thinking it would be quiet. That was 20 years ago, and it hasn't been quiet since. You know, one of the interesting things, I think, in any large organization, whether it's a, a museum, a large corporation, a government entity, is there's always this tendency to give too much stuff. We always, you know, you'll just look at the number of personal storage units around the country, and, and we all have this too much stuff issue, and museums and, and government are no different than anyone else, and what do you do with the stuff? And we are, we're in this beautiful warehouse that was built in the 1940s. You know, goodness only knows what this was filled with 75 years ago. but. Today, um, this particular portion of this particular building houses artifacts um, from both the Fort Sam Houston Museum and the United States Army Medical Department Museum. And one of the things we've really been charged with is how do we become more efficient? And our command here at Fort Sam Houston, at uh, the center and school and under MedCom, has challenged us over the last few years to be much more efficient, to be much more mindful of how we use money. And, and this is one of the results of that, is uh, we were looking at the utilization of space. And, and the Fort Sam Museum, which had quite a bit of items here, uh, quite a number of items, um, was taking up a space that was probably larger than what they needed. And we were taking up a space, um, quite frankly, that was a little smaller than what we needed. But more importantly, by right-sizing, um, we're going to be able to make much better use of this space for other objects like museum support material and hopefully actually turn back to the, to the government warehouse space in another building that we will no longer, you know, within the next six, eight months, we'll simply no longer need. And that does make for a, a much more efficient use of money because that space can now be used for somebody who has a need, 
maybe they're new to Fort Sam, a new command, somebody that's expanding. A lot of our, our uh, uh, operations here at Fort Sam have expanded over the years, and that's a warehouse we can turn back over um, for someone else's use. So this is really a matter of trying to be as efficient with government funds while also making sure that we are absolutely protecting this very important historical property for the American people. You know, this, this stuff needs to be preserved for future generations to learn from, uh, to train with, and to, to know that this is part of our collective heritage. We can only do that if we can preserve it, and we can only preserve it if we make sure that the environment's right. And this building, as old as it is, does the job extremely well but then we have to match the building by doing our job of, of storing it, cataloging it, protecting it, and using the space wisely. And that's what we're all about today, which sounds very complicated, and quite frankly, unless you're sitting here with all this stuff looking around, you cannot imagine how complicated it actually is. Oh, I looked in here, it looked like a bomb exploded in a Oh, in a laboratory, but that's okay because it's all uh, it's all well protected and, and now hopefully for the first time really going to be utilized uh, to the best of its ability. Is this week enough time to finish moving all of the artifacts? Well, I'm hoping that this week is the only effort that we're going to have to put into this building. And, you know, it's interesting since I came to the museum a little over a year ago, uh, we've been doing the same type of, of operation in another building, uh, actually just two buildings over, which is where we house our framing shop. Um, it's where we house our exhibit uh, fabrication. It's where we actually make and paint cases. Uh, but it's also the storage, you know, museums that do their own fabrication, you can imagine, you know, just like a, uh, a cabinet shop would have, you have a lot of supplies in the back room. You need certain types of wood, you need certain types of plexiglass to make museum cases, but you also need, um, you know, the mannequins that go in the, you know, if we change a uniform from male uniform to a female uniform, well, then I have to have a female form to put that on. Where do you keep those when they're not being used in the museum? You keep them in a warehouse, and that's where we keep ours. And, and so that warehouse has gotten about six months worth of attention on and off. Um, and it's finally very well organized. Uh, and now we're moving on to this one. Our next step really is to get out of the warehouses now uh, and get into the museum and modernize it. So our next step will actually be in putting that fabrication space to use, putting this storage space to use by rotating out artifacts that have been on display too long. For preservation's sake, you want them in a dark place um, as much of their life as they can. Um, we're now going to be able to move artifacts that have been on display for a long time here, take some of the artifacts from the other building that have not been on display for a long time and put them on display. And by doing that, modernize our interpretation and hopefully make for a better experience for our visitors. Wow, you must really have a lot of fun with your job. This is more fun than people ought to have. Seriously, I would, I would rather do this than anything. Um, you know, every day somebody will ask, you know, how's it going? I'm having more fun than people. Uh, <laughs> this is the idea that I can come into a museum as a director and I have this incredible collection of just stellar historical artifacts with great stories behind them. You know, things that look scary and things that look cool and things that look gross and, and things that are just, you know, very awe-inspiring to look at. We've got tons of it. And then to say, okay, now, 
define how you're going to tell this, this amazing story of army medicine, which really is an amazing story, vastly different than for most, most people think, and I get an opportunity to use all this to tell the story, it's fabulous. It's the greatest job in the world, and I can't believe that I'm honored to be able to do it. So this x-ray machine that's behind me is really interesting. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about it? We could set up a whole museum exhibit to teach people about the history of radioactive imaging, um, not just in the Army, but in America. These are the same types of machines that were used on people like me when I broke my arm when I was a kid. You know, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five different historical time periods of x-ray machines from you know, we've got one here that's, you know, the, it's interesting, you look at the controls, it's almost a study in art, they're art deco. Even the, even the fonts of the writing on it are art deco, but the army bought, you know, what was on the market, and that's one, and you've got your obligatory um, green colored uh, x-ray machines, because I guess, you know, just in case you're x-raying somebody in the middle of a field, you don't want the enemy to be able to see your x-ray machine, so we're going to paint it green so you can't see it. And as funny as that sounds, I mean, there is, you know, having everything the same color, using the same paint, you know, there are, there are reasons for doing that, and we get to interpret that. But I'm looking at some here from as early as practically World War I and, and through World War II and right up to... Uh, right up to a time after I was born, you know, some of this equipment was in use in my lifetime. And to be able to see the difference, to be able to, to see that they're, how they're constructed differently, how they've gotten smaller, more compact, that they can do, they have a higher capability. Uh, it's, it's an amazing timeline. And, and we're just sitting in one of what's four aisles in this, in this room. And there's even more over on the other side. And we've got a World War II uh, x-ray table here that I was so amazed, only museum people, I guess, would get excited about this. We pulled out a 1936 dated D-cell Rayovac battery that hadn't corroded. I can't keep the batteries in my flashlight at home from corroding, and here's one from the 1930s. What's amazing is that machine was of the type we used during the war, or the interwar period between World War I and World War II, but that's the machine we were using in World War II. And to pull this battery out, who has a 1930s Rayovac? Where do you go to look to see what a 1930s Rayovac battery even looked like? And yet we have one. And it's, it's little things like that, that, little discoveries like that that are great, but just the idea of just with x-ray machines. And, and that just represents, what, one one-thousandth of this collection. Yeah, this is cool. I'll try to do this in the mobile one. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about the U.S. Army Medical Department Center of History and Heritage, find educational support for soldiers, military, civilians, teachers, researchers, and the general public, please visit our website at history.amen.army.mil. Please visit the Joint Base San Antonio website for current base entry requirements at www.jbsa.mil forward slash information forward slash visitor dash information. Visitors are required to have a valid ID. The visitor center is located at the Walter Street entrance on I-35, two miles east of US Highway 281. 
The U.S. Army Medical Department Museum is free and open to the public Monday through Saturday, 10 to 4. If you have any questions, please call the Amen Museum at 210-221-6358. Should I say mill or should I spell out mill? Mill. Should I say mill? Yeah. Okay. Can you do the second, second and third paragraph? Sure. Since our inception in 1775. <laughs> Don't make me say this again. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cleo Medico.